God, with your truth, and open us to your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Since the beginning of Lent, we've been talking about creation, specifically the story of creation told in Genesis chapter 1. Jana and I have done some biblical teaching along the way. We've talked about how this creation story functions alongside a quite different one in Genesis chapter 2. We've talked about the purpose and original intention of this, this story, how it is meant to convey truth rather than report history or teach science. And we've talked about what those truths are in reference to the specific actions, the verses of chapter 1. God separates light from darkness. God separates earth from the heavens, water from dry land, day from night. In each of those actions, a truth is being told about what God intends for creation. So today we arrive on the fifth day. On the fifth day, animals are created, specifically the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. It's not until the sixth day that land animals are created, along with people, and then on the seventh day, God rests. I've, I've grabbed a few verses from the sixth day today so that we could talk about animals, all kinds of animals, and their relationships with us. Both religion and physics seem to agree that most of creation and most of the history of the world takes place long before humans ever appear. But here, on the fifth and the sixth days of the week, we finally arrive at the part of the story that does have something to do with us. The animals are created, and God takes a moment to give a specific instruction about how we should treat them. We can learn a lot about what human beings are like by considering what God says about animals. The Bible, the Bible uses an important word in describing our relationship with them. Here in Genesis 1, we are told that humans are to have dominion over animals. Dominion. And it's translation of a Hebrew word, it's a complicated word that connotes power and authority, but also responsibility and care. From the very start, we get an indication that human beings have the advanced intelligence and the capacity to be in charge of some things, but that our authority is complicated by the burdens that come with it. The Bible then proceeds to tell story after story about the idea that, yes, animals are in some ways subservient to us, but that at the same time, they are sacred. Animals are present all over the Bible. The first books of the Bible are full of stories of animal sacrifice. Why? 
This is based on the idea that flawed human beings might get right with God with the help of an animal, a blameless creature, one not soiled with greed or jealousy or the other burdens of sin. Only such an animal can help us remember the kind of creatures we are supposed to be. In other places in the Bible, when humans become too confident in our own power and control, God often humbles us through a story about an animal. Balaam's ass is a story of a man who cannot see an angel standing right in front of him on the road, but his donkey can see it clearly. A whale swallows Jonah in a storm and spits him up on the beach just to let him know that God is not done with him yet. These are stories where animals put us in our place. We are reminded through these animals that if we think we are really in control, we should think again. And if there is anything that shows the value and sacredness of animals in the Bible, it is the fact that animals are present at the manger scene. When Jesus is born, when God comes into the world, we are told a story that includes very few details, but it does not neglect to tell us that animals are there before the shepherds arrive, before the wise men show up. Animals are the very first witnesses. I could go on like this for quite a while. Animals always seem to be suggesting to us this important relationship in creation between authority and humility, power and responsibility. Beyond the pages of the Bible, our own experiences tell us the same thing about animals. We have authority over them and are also responsible to them. America's largest animal sanctuary is the 1,300-acre Cleveland Amory Black Beauty Ranch. It's in East Texas. It is home to an incredible variety of animals. There are African elephants who lost their entire families to poachers. And there are chimpanzees liberated from years trapped in small metal cages in laboratories. Ideally, all of the animals at the sanctuary would be returned to the wild, but these creatures have spent so much of their lives in captivity that they are no longer equipped for life in the wild. So they get the next best thing, an almost Garden of Eden-like experience where they can enjoy healthy food and wide-open spaces and compassionate care from human beings who love them. I'd love to visit there. So far, I've just read about it. As one writer has noted, these animals are among the world's discards, long forgotten by people who harmed them. But he goes on to say this sad story also has a flip side. Our human instincts can run in the opposite direction. Every animal 
at the ranch is there because of some act of human kindness. For as much selfishness and callousness as they knew in their former lives, here they have found a deep reservoir of human charity and goodness. There is something convicting to me about that animal sanctuary and many others like it. The animals there are living a blessed and holy life. They are present in a sort of Garden of Eden where they can live in peace as God intended. But they only need to be there in the first place because of the way we have abused them. Human beings seem forever caught in this position of the care we should be showing for God's sacred creation and the reminders of just how often we get it wrong. These contradictory impulses we have toward animals, the ways we vacillate between dramatic care for animals in some contexts and disregard and abuse in others. This is the great truth. This is the great truth that creeps through the lines of the creation story on the fifth day. We are given dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the four-legged creatures of the dry land. The truth is that dominion is not a privilege. It is a warning. A warning to us regarding all kinds of places in life where we are given authority and must guard against its abuses. Power is not supposed to make us tyrants. It is supposed to make us lovers. Dominion is not supposed to make us kings. It is supposed to make us servants. Today we ordain new officers in our church, elders and deacons, who will serve God in this congregation for the next three years. It seems at first like a recognition or a privilege. Certainly people include it on a resume. Our youth can put it on a college application when they are a youth elder or deacon. But these newly ordained people are quickly going to learn that these words, elder and deacon, they are indicators not of deference or reward, they are indicators of service. These people are elected to place their own preferences and spare time at the service of the church. They are called to make difficult decisions that can shape the priorities and commitments of our congregation. They are called to be publicly identified with the work of this church, both within these walls and beyond them. And they are equipped for this service only to the extent that they are willing to lay their own gifts and skills at the foot of the cross and to submit themselves to where Christ will take them to listen for where God is leading them. This dominion is about responsibility.
Yesterday, we celebrated the life and ministry of Reverend Tom York at his memorial service. Tom was a man who knew a thing or two about the responsibility of leading a congregation. But he also knew about the gifts that come with that responsibility. In the last week, I'm sure many of you viewed Tom's last sermon on our website. In that sermon, as Tom drew conclusions about his 16 years of service here at Knox and his ministry prior to that, he began with an extended thank you. He spent almost the first 10 minutes of that sermon thanking the congregation for all the ways he had been able to learn and grow over the course of his ministry. At the end of a long and dedicated call to service, a generation of responding to God's call, Tom's first inclination was not exhaustion or expectation of payment or relief that it was finally over. No, Tom was thankful. This is the good news about dominion. That word is instructive for all of us who would be church leaders and for those of you who become officers today. It is yet another irony of this word dominion that we are talking about today. New elders and deacons, I will make you few promises, but I will make you this one. And I make it not just to our new officers, but to all of you who make a commitment to Christ. The more you give of yourself in the life of the church, and the more you seek your own spiritual growth as you serve, the more likely you are to come to the end of that time of service and say thank you. Thank you.